Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. Uh, we, this morning we're going to continue in the series uh, called Far Country. Uh, the series is a kind of the six-week series of kind of asking and answering the question of um, what do we do with our lives? How do we live this life of faith um, as we're passing through? Where this world is not our own, where um, we have a hope set in heaven, um, but yet God has placed us here to live here, to live in community with one another, um, to live with the world around us. And so how do we do this, and how do we do this well? And that's what, kind of the aim of this series, is to look at these different characters. So last week, we looked at Abraham. This week, we're going to look at Moses. Um, in the next two weeks, we're going to look at Jeremiah and Daniel. We're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to look at Paul. And kind of all these characters have in common this idea that God has called them from their place of comfort and their place of safety, their place that they would call home uh, towards this kind of far and distant land um, to do the work that God has called them to do. And so as we look at these characters, we kind of ask the question is, where is God calling us to go? Where is God calling us out of our comfort zone? Where is God calling us to go and do the work that he has prepared for us in advance to do? And so last week, like I said, we looked at Abraham, and just a quick recap of Abraham last week, we heard that Abraham was called to surrender kind of four different things. He's called to surrender his possessions. He's called to surrender his position. He's called to surrender kind of his future dreams. And he's called to surrender his relationships, his relationships with his family. Because God says, Abraham, I'm going to take you from this place that is your home that you are comfortable in, that you have position, that you have relationship with, that you have possessions. And I'm going to take you to this land that, you, that you're not familiar with. That I'm not even going to tell you where the land's at. I'm going to actually just show you as you go. And, Mo, and Abraham says, okay, God. And he leaves by faith, forsaking all these things. And so last week, the question was, is what is God kind of asking us to hold loosely to? What is God asking us to hold loosely to so that we can say yes to the things that God is actually calling us towards. And this hope of holding loosely to things and this call that Abraham had was to go and to bless the nations. It was actually to establish a nation for the purpose of blessing the rest of the world. And so we hold on loosely so that God can take us to where he's calling us to go. This morning, we're going to look at the man of Moses. Um, and if you guys want to turn to your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. Um, and we're not going to get there for a little bit, but if, just if you want to open it, flip it down, bookmark it, however. Exodus chapter 20. Yep, good job, Todd. <laughs> that was emphatic. I love it. So Exodus 20 is where we're going. Um, but we're going to look at this, this man named Moses. Um, and Moses is kind of this quintessential sojourner of the Bible. Moses is really never home, even from the beginning of his birth. He's always a displaced man. Moses is born, and Pharaoh gives this command that all the baby Hebrew boys need to be executed. And so Moses' mother hides Moses in a basket in, a, in the reeds of the Nile, and he is displaced there, and Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses and adopts him into a family. And so Moses is never a part of his home family. He's immediately from birth brought into this family in which he is a foreigner. And he grows up in this adopted family as an Egyptian, although he's a Hebrew. So he's kind of a foreigner 
even in this place, in this house where he grows up, and he grows up in this house of privilege while the rest of his people are suffering at the hands of his privilege. And so one day Moses decides he's had enough, he's seen enough oppression, he's going to do something about it, and he goes out and he murders an Egyptian for beating one of his own people. And because of Moses' actions, he's then displaced further out into the wilderness. He has to then go and run from his life. So not only is he displaced from his home family, but he's also displaced from his adopted family in Egypt, and he heads out into the desert. And there he's a shepherd for 40 years. I mean, can you imagine leaving and going somewhere to do one thing for 40 years and then have God call you to go do something else? I mean, I'm like a little bit past, I'm more than a little bit past halfway to 40 in my lifetime. But for 40 years, Moses goes out and he is, and he is a shepherd and he does that faithfully. And while he's a shepherd, uh, he meets a woman and he gets married and he's, he's kind of brought into a new family again. But then God, through the burning bush, calls Moses says, hey, you need to go back. You need to go back to Egypt. I'm going to call you back and I'm going to let you set these people free that are your people. I want you to set my people free. And you're a part of that. And I'm actually going to have you lead that. So Moses is again displaced again from his in-laws. Probably the people that were his closest family at this time. So he brings his wife and his children and they come back to Egypt. And he tells the Hebrew people, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Pharaoh and say, and he's going to set us free. <laughs> and the Hebrew people are like, you're going to do what? And he goes to Pharaoh, and he's like, hey, um, God told me to tell you that he wants you to set his people free. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, right. <laughs> and the Hebrew people get upset, and Pharaoh gets upset, and Pharaoh makes the work harder for the Israelite people. And so, again, Moses is displaced, again, by his people. His people don't even want to accept him. He's rejected by the Egyptian. He's kind of this, this lone man. But through the ten plagues and through the working of God, God allows Moses and enables Moses to, to lead the people out of Egypt. God sets them free. He, they cross the <coughs> Red Sea. Pharaoh is destroyed. And then they're out in the wilderness. Again, Moses is home, but yet never home. He's leading this people that are his people, um, but yet is still incredibly displaced in this foreign wilderness desert land. And this is where Moses' life ends. He gets to the cusp of the promised land and he's not allowed in. And he dies looking out into the promised land, but he never makes it fully home. Moses is this guy that is constantly journeying and moving, but never quite home. And so we, in many ways, in, our, in this land and in this place, as we have this hope for this land of promise that God has prepared for us, we are journeying. We are home, but yet never home. And what we find is that in all of this displacement that Moses experiences, there is something that God calls him to do, and that is he calls him to, to lead the people of Israel to leave Egypt and to go to this land of promise. And so I'm going to say that again, God calls Moses to leave Egypt and to go 
to the land of promise. And we're going to kind of focus on this idea of leaving and going this morning. It's going to be one of our main points this morning, this idea of, of leaving and going, how God has called Moses to lead the people of Israel to both leave and go. And what we find is that leaving and going are not necessarily the same thing. I think a lot of times we kind of can get into this cycle in our brain, like, well, to leave is to go, and to go is to leave. How are they not the same thing? But when I think about it, God calls Moses to both leave Egypt and to go towards the promised land. And so when I think about it, leaving has to do with the past. It has to do with the old thing. It has to do with this thing that that God is trying to move us away from. And so God tells the people of Israel and Moses that they need to leave Egypt. They need to leave. They need to have nothing to do with Egypt anymore. And that God is moving them to a new place. And that God is going to take them from there. That God is going to enable them to leave. He's going to give them the strength to leave. Because leaving is hard. Leaving is really hard. Has anyone had a hard time saying goodbye? I, like, I hate goodbyes. I, I really cannot stand them. It's always the hardest when it's like, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Hug, hug, third hug. Okay, <laughs> let's leave. You know, it is really hard to leave sometimes. And it was really hard for Israel to leave too because if they had a choice, I think Israel would have remained slaves. It was easier in some ways. For as hard as being a slave was, it was easier to be a slave than it was to leave. And it's hard to leave because that's where we're comfortable. That's what we know. That's what we perceive to be safe. It could be the worst thing in the world to us, but it's what we know, it's what we do. And somehow in this, in this familiarity, there's this sense of safety and we hate leaving. But I believe that there are some of us here in this room that God is calling us to leave. That there is some situation, that there is some relationship, that there's something going on in your life that God is saying, you need to leave. You can't stay here anymore. And I know that if you had the choice, you would continue to stay and remain a slave. But that's not what I've called you to do. That's not the vision that I have for your life. I've called you to leave, and I'm going to come and set you free from this thing so that you can leave. And we have to leave if we're going to be set free to then go towards the thing that God has called us to do next. And that's where kind of this idea of going comes in. If leaving has to do with this past, this old thing, this thing that we need to not have anything to do with any longer. Going has to do with moving towards the thing that God is calling us towards. That God is giving us a vision, he's giving us a calling, and it's kind of specific to each one of us. And so he's saying, you need to go, and he gives the people of Israel this imagination, this vision of the promised land, that there's a land set aside that he is working on, that he is preparing for them, and that that's where they need to set their sights and then move and go towards. And so they leave Egypt and they go towards the promised land and God sets them free. And so the Israelite people, they're set free. They're in the desert. They're going towards the promised land. And what do we find? We find that even in our going, there are still some places in our lives, in our hearts, that we still need to leave. That in many ways, we're still holding on to the past. We're still holding on to Egypt. Because... Every time something went wrong in the desert, what did the Israelite people do? They said, oh, just let us go back to Egypt. It was better when we were slaves. Just let us go back to Egypt because there at least we had food. 
Let us go back to Egypt so we can do this. In our going, even as we're moving towards the things that God has called us to, there's still some places where we're holding on to the past. We're still holding on to the things that God has worked so hard to say, I'm setting you free from this. I'm setting you free from this. And so, even in our going, there's some places that we need to leave. And so some of us are in that place. Some of us are in the place where we need to leave for the very first time and we need to be set free by God, like the Israelites. We are completely enslaved. And some of us have been set free and we're moving towards the thing that God has called us to, but we're still looking back over our shoulder at Egypt saying, man, that looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. We're like, if God weren't looking for a second, I'm going to dart back to Egypt as fast as I can. And so for some of us, there are still some things that we need to be able to let go of, that we need to be able to leave. I don't know about you, but there's been some moments in my life where I've had this thought, where I've had this thought that if I could just leave everything, you know, the, the circumstances in my life, geographically, relationally, if I could just leave everything and move somewhere else, I think then probably all my problems in my life could be solved. Or maybe you've talked to somebody like this. You've talked to somebody like this. It's, it's a very popular idea. Like, if I could just leave here and go to there, then life would be better. And then the crazy thing is that in God's grace, he allows that to happen to us sometimes. Sometimes he actually allows that to happen. He actually allows us to leave, or he allows our friend to leave and go somewhere else. And then what happens six months later? You get a phone call, or you're there in that new place, and you're like, my problems have seemed to follow me. All the names have changed, but the problems have stayed the same. And that's because even in your going, you've never left. You've never left. And so God is calling us to leave behind the things of Egypt. And I want you to hear this morning. I've got three questions for us this morning. Three kind of like reflection questions to, so that we can hear from God. And the first question that we have this morning is, where is God calling you to leave? Because I believe that God is speaking that to each one of us. He's, he's got some things that are going to come right to the top of the list. That like, man, you need to leave these things. I, I have set you free from these things, and you no longer need to live in those places. I want you to have nothing to do with these things any longer. I've called you to be my people. So where is God calling you to leave? And then with that, where is God calling you to go? Because it's not just enough to leave sometimes. Because that just leaves us kind of wandering, like, okay, I've left. Now, now what do I do? You know, it becomes even more tempting to turn around and go back to the thing that you've just left if you've got nothing that you're going towards. And so God is calling us all to leave something and to step towards, to go towards something. And so the question this morning is, what is God calling you to leave? And where is God calling you to go? And I encourage you to take some moments to reflect on that um, in our, the time of reflection in the service or throughout this week as you meditate. But back to Moses and Israel for a minute. So, so in their leaving and going, God leads them through the desert and he leads them to this place called Sinai, Mount Sinai. And it's here where God allows them to pause for a moment to hear from him, to hear from God. God meets them in this place called Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up the mountain, meets with God, and God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, which are, in essence, the summary of the law. They are the essentials of the law. They're kind of this definition of what it is to be human. These people have been slaves for 400 years. That's all they know is bricks, bricks, bricks. And God says, I'm going to define 
what it is to be human. I'm going to give you a new perspective. I'm going to tell you what it is to be my people. And so he gives them these lists of Ten Commandments. And most of them make a lot of sense. He begins with this idea of, you know, you should value worship. Worship is good and you should value it. So I'm going to give you this command to not commit idolatry. Don't worship other stuff. Worship me. Value worship. He gives us this other commandment. He says, value life. And he gives us this commandment, do not murder. Do not kill one another. He says, value truth and do not lie. He says, value marriage and do not commit adultery. All of these things kind of pretty standard in our society. I mean, in our kind of far country society that we find ourselves in, most people would kind of agree to this, maybe not to the worship one, but they would agree, value life, do not murder, value truth, do not lie, value marriage, do not commit adultery. You know, these are the people that society loves to put a magnifying glass over whenever someone's caught lying, cheating, murdering, killing, <laughs> committing adultery. We blow these things up, right? And they're kind of standard. Um, even in Moses' culture, even in the Egyptian culture, there's this idea that you don't murder someone. Because Moses murders somebody and then has to flee for his life. So they're kind of standard. But in this list of commandments, he then gives this commandment that says, you should value me. And you should remember me. And I'm going to give you this commandment of keep the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath. And so if you guys want to open up your Bibles to Exodus 20, verse 8. This is what God tells us. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And he made it holy. I mean, in all honesty, this commandment doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't seem to be in the right place. I mean, it's right there with murder, adultery, and lying. Is do not work seven days. I mean, I think we'd say, yep, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not lie. Makes sense. But do not work seven days a week. Especially when that's all they've done is every day, day in, day out, is work, 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 work. That's been their entire existence is work, work, work. And, yeah, Todd, there's a song like that. <laughs> there is. And so they're working all the time. And God puts in this commandment. He puts in this commandment that says, you should rest and you should remember me. And why does he give us this commandment? He gives us this commandment because on our journey, on our journey to where God has us to go, if we do not stop and rest, we are going to forget God. On our journey to where God has us going, if we do not stop to remember him, if we do not stop to rest, we are going to forget our God. And the temptation to ignore Sabbath in our far country has never been more real. I mean, there's a sense in this world that you have to get to where you're going as quickly and efficiently as possible. There's a sense in our world that your value is determined by how much you can achieve and accomplish in a day and get done. Our value is completely determined based on output. So much so that the world and managers 
and managers of people have determined that there are two types of people. There are high-capacity people and there are low-capacity people. And the people that you want on your team are the high-capacity people because they're going to get more value for you. And so therefore, high-capacity people are valued and low-capacity people are just kind of thrown onto the side or they try to be developed into high-capacity people because you can get more done. If you can get more done, you can make more money and there's more value. And that's just how we use people. We use people as resources instead of as the incredible gifts that God has made us to be for one another with intricacies and diversity and differences of thoughts and differences of capacity and ability. But we've all been given gifts from God and we've all been given a command to go and to move in those things. And in all of this, our God tells us that we are his people and that our identity is not defined by what we accomplish. It's not defined by our capacity, but it's defined by who he calls us to be. And he says, I have made you my people. And as someone that is my, that's in this group of my people, one of the things that you do is that you rest. And in your resting, you're actually going to bless others. You're actually going to be able to achieve this thing that I've called you to do, which is to go and bless the nations and bless the people that you're around. And so as a person of my people. I need you to rest. In business, there's this term. It's called the whirlwind. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this term called the whirlwind, but the whirlwind is everything that you have to do in business to just kind of like keep day-to-day operations going. And so it's just kind of like, it's a lot of the menial tasks, but if you think about business, there's a lot of menial tasks that gets done. It's probably 90% menial, and all of that menial adds up to actually getting work done, um, but it's called the whirlwind. And I think it's aptly called the whirlwind because, like, if you're in the middle of the week, that's kind of, like, what it feels like. I mean, have you ever, like, walked away from work and was like, I don't know what I actually accomplished today? Like, I spent eight hours doing stuff, but, like, I couldn't tell you what I did. That's the whirlwind kind of going around. And, and you feel kind of really exhausted by that because that, that I mean, it's, it's the whirlwind. You're like, man, it looks like you just stepped out of a whirlwind. You're like, you know, I kind of did. I just did eight hours of something, but I'm not really sure what that something was. And the reality is, is that it's, it's, not a, it's not a term that just is exclusive to business, but it carries over to our lives. Each and every one of us has a whirlwind kind of going on in our lives to, like, keep ourselves kind of functioning in society, functioning as family. So you've got to, like, go and get groceries each week. You've got to make meals. You gotta clean the house, you gotta mow the lawn, you gotta change the light bulb that hasn't been changed in three months, you know? You there's there's this whirlwind that's constantly going around. I was having a conversation with somebody and he's like, You wouldn't believe the amount of time we spend just cleaning the kitchen. He's like, it's like we destroy the kitchen by making a meal, we clean it up, and then we destroy it again making another meal. He's like, I cannot um, he's like, I just cannot believe the amount of time we spend in the kitchen. And that what he's describing is this idea of the whirlwind. And the whirlwind is essential. It's important. We don't move on without the whirlwind in our lives. But the reality is that we have included so many things in the whirlwind of our days and our weeks that it's so demanding and it's so exhausting that if we're all really honest, whether you're a high-capacity person, low-capacity person, somewhere in between, it's probably more than what you can handle, honestly. But we're in this world that says, put a smile on your face, 
be a high capacity person, even if you're not, even if you are, be a high capacity person. I don't know if high capacity people are actually really high capacity, or if they just like use that label to say that I can force myself, will myself to do more than everyone else, but I'm exhausted and dying on the inside. Like every time I hear somebody say, yeah, I'm, I'm a high capacity person, I'm like, how dead is your soul right now? That's the question that I'm wondering. Because there's days that I like to think of myself as a high-capacity person, and there's days where my soul is completely dead, and my battery is completely drained. And so it's not about capacity. God created us to have limitations. And our limitations need to be seen as a blessing. Our limitations need to be seen as a blessing. We live in a world where we want to ignore all of limitations, that if we just tried hard enough, we just worked hard enough, eventually you could achieve anything. We could get to the moon. But the reality is that there are limitations that God has blessed us with. And we need to begin to see our limitations as blessings. And what happens is that we don't have the energy to keep the whirlwind going. It's more than what we can imagine, than what we can manage. And what happens is that we, we never get to this place. The whirlwind begins to become too much, that we never get to get to this place to where we actually stop and rest, and hear from God. And this is how quickly it can become to where we ignore the Sabbath, which is why God gives us the Sabbath. He says, you need to stop so you can remember me, so you can hear from me, so that your life has me in it. But instead, we live in this world, in this culture, where the whirlwind becomes so great that we never stop to hear from God. And when that doesn't happen when we don't stop to hear from God. Guess what ends up happening? We end up doing stuff in our lives that seems right in our own eyes. I mean, that's what happens to Israel, right? Is they, they get going, they get to the promised land, they get to work in the land that's flowing with milk and honey. Things are great. They become so great, they become so busy, so infatuated with themselves that they begin to do things that the book of Judges kind of has this cadence and rhythm. They did what was right in their own eyes. And I think that that's what happens to us when we allow the whirlwind to take over, when we don't step in to Sabbath. And maybe this is you. Maybe life has just been going by. You've said yes to too many things. You find your worth and value in what you can accomplish. You know, maybe, maybe last week's message, is, we need to revisit that for a moment for you. Maybe you find too much value in your possessions. Maybe you find too much value in your position. Maybe you find too much value in your future dreams and that you're not really concerned with where God wants you to go, but you're more concerned about where I want to go. Maybe you value too much your relationships. Maybe you're holding on to this life too tightly. And in holding on to this life too tightly and holding on to passions, possessions, dreams, relationships, the whirlwind, you've never had a moment to stop and listen to God. Maybe it's been weeks. Maybe it's been months. Maybe it's been half a year that you've actually stopped and hit pause and truly heard from God to where you've just rested in God's presence, where you took the time and said, all right, we're going to take a time out, and I'm just, I'm just going to rest. I'm just going to try and become present to God. I'm going to let this whirlwind kind of pass behind me. Where you've allowed yourself to become present to God and hear from Him where we could actually hear him say, hey, this is where I want you to leave. And this is where 
I want you to go. In the spring, we did this series on the spiritual disciplines. Can you pull up that graphic for me real quick? So we did this, we did this series on the spiritual disciplines, and we used Mount Sinai as this kind of journey um, of, of the disciplines. And what we find is that, my question is, how, may, how, how have you done this journey? When was the last time have you, that you've done this journey of Mount Sinai, of these, these disciplines? Because on this left-hand side of the mountain, it has everything to do with leaving. You need to leave these things. You need to leave chaos, leaving the temptation. You're confessing them. And then you get to the top where you're actually able to be present to God and receive from him. And then the other half of the mountain is about going. It's about <laughs> meditating on his word. It's about giving of your resources. It's about going and doing ministry. And so in the spring, we, we kind of studied these practices of, and that kind of lend us to this place of where we can hear from God, where we can leave the things that God is calling us to leave and where we can go towards the things that God is calling us to go towards. And so my question is, when was the last time that you visited Sinai? When was the last time you hit pause? And so we have this commandment, remember the Sabbath. And I think that there are kind of three questions that come to mind when we hear this word, remember the Sabbath. The first one is, what is it? What is the Sabbath? The second is, how do we do it? And I think the third question is, why? And we've talked about a little bit this why is, so we don't forget God. But the question is, what is Sabbath? And in the most traditional sense, Sabbath is a day of rest. He gives it pretty clearly. It's a Sabbath, do no work on it. It's take a break. It's take a time out. It's take a nap. It's hit the pause button. And the beautiful thing is it's not just an Old Testament idea, but it's a New Testament idea, and it's affirmed in Hebrews. In Hebrews, the author writes, he says, So then there still remains a Sabbath of rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from all of his works. So it has to do with physical rest, as God has done from his. Therefore, let us strive to enter into that rest. Are you striving to enter into rest? I don't know about you, entering to rest is incredibly, incredibly difficult. But the beautiful thing is that this commandment of Sabbath is that it's giving us permission to rest. It's giving us permission to rest. And sometimes we need that. I know I need that. There's days where I'm in the house, and I've kind of like maybe passively slid into some form of rest, and like I see Rebecca doing stuff, getting stuff done, and I'll ask her, like, is it, is it okay that I'm sitting right here? Like, is it okay for me to be doing the nothing for a moment? She's like, oh, you know, 90% of the time she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, please do. Please, please, please keep resting. And I'm like, oh, thank you. You know, I just need that permission. I, even though I'm sitting there, I'm trying to enter into rest, I don't really feel good about it until I get some permission, some affirmation that says, yes, actually, rest more. Yes, actually, take a nap. Yes, actually, it's okay. You don't need to work right now. We're going to be okay. And that's what God is telling us through this commandment to Sabbath is that it is okay to not do anything. And I think that's really hard for us to do, which is why Sabbath is also not just a time of rest, but it's also an invitation to trust. It's an invitation to trust God. God tells us in Matthew chapter 6 to do not worry the clo about the clothes that you'll wear or the food that you'll eat, for even the sparrows, are provided for, even though they neither 
sow nor reap. The Father sees them and sustains them. And so to stop working, to stop striving, to stop earning, to stop trying to make everything happen on your own. Because I think we do. I mean, I know there are many times where I try and make everything happen because I'm Justin. And that's what I do. I make things happen. But we need to stop all of that. And it requires us letting go. It requires us holding on loosely like Shannon and Michael talked about last week. It talks about letting go, holding on loosely so that we could trust God that while we stop working, while we stop striving, while we stop earning, that God is still working on our behalf. To rest from work in this kind of far country, it can be dangerous. You might be judged for it. You might be seen as lazy. You might be seen as thoughtful. That's why we don't rest, right? We're like, well, what if somebody sees me resting? And they're like, man, that person's really lazy. We don't want to be labeled as lazy. Because we feel like the world has enough lazy people in it, and you don't want to contribute to that. And so in our pride, we say, no, I'm not going to rest because I don't want to be seen as lazy. So you might be judged if you rest. You might be judging yourself if you rest, but you need to get over that. You might not get promoted if you take some time to rest. You might work for a boss that is like, we need to get it done. and I need you to work seven days. And you'd be like, look, I, I need to work six days. I need some time to spend with family. Nope, we need to work seven days. Well, can we work some time to work six days? Okay, six days, but you'll never see a promotion or raise ever again. Okay, I'm going to trust that God's going to take care of that. You might be judged. You might be looked down upon. You might not be seen as valuable if you take a moment to rest. But when we rest, we affirm this truth that our value comes from someone else. It comes from not our own doing, our own achieving, our own earning. When we rest, we say, you know what? My value isn't wrapped up in all of that. Sure, work is important. Work is good. But that's secondary. My identity is not tied to everything that I can achieve. My identity is tied to who God says that I am. And when we rest, we affirm that. When we rest, we trust that God is going to provide for us. And when we rest, we trust that true life is actually freely given and not earned. And that's the beauty of the gospel, right? That it is given and not earned. And so we're called to rest and to trust in him. Now this doesn't mean that we are negligent in our rest, right? Because I think you'd be like, Justin, this sounds great, but like, am I just going to say no to everything and just like let live and... Jesus has something to say about that. He says, look, if your neighbor's ox were to fall into a pit, wouldn't you surely go over on the Sabbath day and help him out? He kind of answers, asks this rhetorical question with kind of the positive answer of like, yes, of course you would. Of course you would go on your Sabbath day and help your neighbor pull out his ox. So in our rest, it doesn't mean that, that we just get a pass and just say, hey, I'm resting. I'm checking out. Don't ask me to do anything. I'm honoring God. It, that's what the Pharisees did. Jesus says, no, rest and be responsible with your rest. But don't be negligent in it. Don't be negligent in it. And finally, Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. In Deuteronomy, God tells this to his people. He says, you shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. 
and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And God has done the same for us. He has freed us. He has called us to leave some things in our life, and he's allowed us and enabled us to leave. And we need to remember that we too were once slaves in our sin and in our death, and that God has saved us. And to remember that, to remember that God has given us freedom, we need to take a time out. We need to enter into this place of Sabbath. The Sabbath place for ourselves is a place where we can be renewed both physically and spiritually. It's a reminder that God has called us to leave some things and to go towards some other things and that we are unable to do that on our own power. Because I think what happens is sometimes we do hear from God, we take that moment, we hear from God, hey, I want you to go here. I want you to go towards this land of promise. And Israel did that. But in some place they forgot to convene with God. And they're like, hey, we're going to try to go to where God has called us to go on our own power. And when they did that, they got there and they were giants and they got afraid and they came back and they're like, no, we're not actually going to go there anymore. And so they ended up sitting in the desert for 40 more years. 40 more years that they could have been in this land of promise where God was calling them to go because they didn't check in with God, because they didn't obey the Sabbath, where they didn't make him a priority. And so this is the heart of the gospel, that we have been set free, that in Christ, in this far country, Christ has come and he has set us free from the power of sin and the power of death, and that our salvation is something that is freely given to all people, that it's not earned, and that it was actually given in the life of our Savior, Jesus. And so, at the end of the day, Sabbath is not a pace. I know we talked about we need Sabbath to be a place where we can get into a rhythm of rest. But at the end of the day, at its utmost, Sabbath is not a pace. Sabbath is not a place. I know we talked about Sinai being this kind of place where Sabbath could happen. And it's an incredible tool, but it's not a place. There's no place. You don't come to church to Sabbath. You don't go to community group to Sabbath. There's no place where you can Sabbath and say, well, I did this and so I Sabbathed. So it's not a place, and it's not a pace, but it's actually a person. Our Sabbath is a person, and it's found in Jesus Christ. It's where our rest and the fulfillment of our rest is at. And Jesus invites us to himself to find rest in him. To find rest in him who's living and active and breathing and present and living inside of each and every one of us. And his Holy Spirit, he's inside of us. He says, come to me and find rest. He invites us to Matthew. He says, Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think what we find is that when we take the time to rest in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, who he is and all that he's accomplished, in the truth of the gospel, we will find that the whirlwind is less demanding in our lives. When we take the time to rest in Jesus, what we'll find is that the things that we find as primary, the things that are taking up 
our time capacity and our commitments, the things that we think are so important that we see resting with God and hearing from God as secondary. When we make that secondary thing of hearing from God the primary thing and we begin to see all these other things as secondary things, we begin to see the truth and the reality of what it is to live in this far country, to be home but yet not fully home. Because God says all of these things around us, they're passing away. We need to hold on to the truth that is Jesus as this world passes away. And I think the sin of our culture and the sin of even our church and even of myself is that we try so hard to hold on to the things that are so quickly passing away. So quickly. I mean, every year they're going to release a new iPhone. Every year. And we're like, oh, I've got to get that one. Got to get that one. Every year, these things that are new and shiny today will be passing away tomorrow. And so this is my kind of third question. And I wasn't super clear with my question. My first question was, what is God calling you to leave and where is he calling you to go? My second question <coughs> was, I actually never asked it. My second question was, how are you doing? And it was supposed to be asked back in this kind of whirlwind section where I'm talking about how busy we are. My question is, how are you doing? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you resting? Is rest difficult? Just how are you doing? And then my third question for us this morning is, where do you find rest? Where do you go? Is, dif- is rest difficult for you? Are you able to rest without finishing all that you have to accomplish in the day? There are days where Rebecca and I will be up cleaning the house because some days it's, we're like, man, we just need to get the house clean because then we can have rest. But if the house is not clean, then it's difficult for us to enter into rest. And Jesus challenges that idea and says, can the house be a mess and can you still find rest? Is it okay to have things undone? Is it okay to say, yep, that's undone. That's not finished yet. We'll get to there. But right now, we are going to rest. So my question is, is, where do you find rest? And is it difficult for you to rest? Because I think sometimes it's incredibly difficult to rest. I find it incredibly intimidating to rest at times. Sometimes we can be going so hard, so fast. Our lives are so full. The whirlwind is so strong that for us to actually sit back and rest, we're like, this is weird. We just like sit down. We're like, I don't, I don't know what I should actually be doing here. So then we like reach for our phones, right? And we're like, okay, this feels more, this feels more comfortable. You know, have you noticed nobody waits anymore? Like you go in line at the grocery store. Where's everyone? Like, there's no more waiting. It's always like, I need information now. There's no setting aside sacred time, sacred space, to just rest and to just be. I remember when I was a student at Oxford, my workload was so heavy and so full that I'd spend 10-hour days in the library. I'd spend multiple all-nighters to get my work done every Thursday. Some weeks I had one essay due, some weeks I had two essays due, and I would go and I'd present those essays, and I'd walk out of essays, and I'd be like, I've got nothing to do. What, what am I supposed to do? And I would wander around the city of Oxford like a zombie, 
because I had just worked so hard. And I was like, I don't know what I should be doing right now. I guess I'm going to look at stuff. When I first moved to Madison, sometimes just to get away from work, I would go to the mall just to like be a zombie and to like walk around and to just like check out for a moment. And I think sometimes we need permission and we need space to check out. Just as long as we take time to check in with our God. If we just check out and there's no checking in, then I don't know if you actually accomplished Sabbath. Did you have rest? Sure. And rest is great, but I think if we don't check in with our God, and if we don't remember him, and if we don't evaluate where he's calling us to leave and where he's calling us to go, we're missing a massive component of what Sabbath is. The funny thing is that I think a lot of us avoid rest because we think that rest is selfish. We think rest is inherently selfish. We're like, but you mean that I need to take time for me? Well, that's selfish. I've got a family to serve. I've got kids to feed. I've got kids that need to go down for a nap. Like, I have too much responsibility to actually take time to rest. That'd be way, way too selfish. And that's the lie. That's the lie of our far country. That's the lie of our culture, that taking rest and taking Sabbath is selfish for you. It is the slavery that God has freed us from. This place where we have to produce, where we have to earn But in reality, to rest is actually quite the opposite of selfishness. I would argue that not taking time to rest is one of the most selfish things that we can do. Because when you don't rest, you never have the opportunity to become present to anyone else. You never have the opportunity to become present, fully present to your kids, or fully present to your spouse, or fully present to the thing that God is calling you to do. And I've noticed that in my own life, that there are days where I'm working so much on church things I'm working, and my brain is so full that I will work all the way up to 8, 9 o'clock at night. And then I will come and I will try and like check out. I'll check out on my phone or whatever, and then we'll go to bed. And Rebecca's like, man, it was good to see you today. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you weren't here all day. I'm like, but I was here from these hours. She's like, yeah, but you weren't here. You weren't here. And that gets me every time. It gets me every time when I hear, yeah, but you weren't here. And my son, my son will let me know. He loves attention. He can tell when I'm present and when I'm not present. He gets fussy when I'm not present. But as soon as I become present to him, and I set everything down, his face lights up. At three months old, the kid gets it. He knows when I'm present. He knows when daddy's present. He knows when daddy's not present. And if I don't ever rest, I can never be present to Benjamin. I can never be present to my wife. And so I need to take a rest because guess who benefits? My wife benefits. My child benefits. You guys as the congregation benefits when I rest. My neighbors benefit when I rest because when I rest, I now have capacity to then go and serve them and love them well. But if we're just going all the time, we get short with people. We get nasty with people. You guys know what I'm talking about. You guys know that person that like you don't want to talk to unless they've had their Starbucks, right? Maybe you're that person. You know, you're like, do not talk to me until I've had my caffeine. And you know, and we just say, well, I'm just, I'm just that way. I'm just that way. You need to deal with it. Like, really? <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think you need to rest. I think there's some alternatives to your caffeine addiction. 
And so we all benefit when we take some time out to rest, when we take some time to honor this commandment. And so in this life of Moses, this life that is a man who is never fully home, we find him taking time to hit pause, to be with God. Because when Israel messes up, when Israel's ready to go back to Egypt, when Israel's ready to make a massive mistake in the wrong direction, guess who stands in the way? It's Moses. Why? Because he's been Sabbathing, he's been meeting with God, he's got a clear vision of exactly where Israel needs to leave and where Israel needs to go. And it's because he's a man of Sabbath. He's a man of rest and he's a man of peace. And so I want to challenge you this week to take these three questions with you and to enter into rest and to ask God, where do you have me going? Where would you have me leave? May we stop this week. May we hit pause to remember our God. Because if we don't, we will find ourselves forgetting him. And it's my prayer that we would never forget our God and what he's done for us. Let's pray this morning. Dear Lord God, I just thank you for this day, and I thank you for this gift that is Sabbath. That in the middle of all this work, in the middle of all this work that you have for us to do for your kingdom, for your glory, for your honor, you said, hey, one of those things that I have you to do in all of this work is to rest. And even in your rest, I'm going to be glorified. I know that you think that you'll be glorified in all of the work that you'll do for me, but know that In some ways, I'm most glorified when you rest. And God, I just pray that we would understand that, that we'd believe that, that as we live in this far country, we'd be an example to the people around us, that we would be a people filled with your Spirit, that because we entered into rest with you, that we'd be patient, that we'd be kind, that we'd be gentle, that we would be people that would invite rest into others, as their whirlwind is sucking the life out of them. God, may we be a place where they can hit pause, where they can let their guard down. God, make us a blessing to this nation around us. And God, may we value you the utmost by taking time to remember you. God, free us from this. Allow us to leave our busyness and go towards this place of rest in you and in your Son. And we thank you that you made it possible. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to enter this time. So we're going to enter this time. So we're going to enter this time. So we're going to enter this time.